welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. How do we heal, particularly from trauma? This question has fascinated me for years now. What's the special sauce? Are there commonalities or even essential pieces of the process? Part of what has driven Back from the Abyss is my search to understand the how and the why of healing, believing that first-person accounts of emerging from the darkness can provide the most wisdom and hope. In this episode, Colorado-based singer-songwriter and recovery yoga instructor Jeff Finland tells his story of recovery after recovery. Years into sobriety, he was still deeply tormented and traumatized until he found a path of spiritual healing through the practice of yoga and the breath. You can learn more about Jeff and his new book on his website, jefffinland.com, and I'll have links to that in the show notes. Jeff was very gracious to let us use his music for this episode, and I really hope you enjoy this one. Where's the good man go for breaking? Where's the rambler go to kneel? Where's the earth go when it's quaking to find what isn't, isn't You know, in AA they say, you know, it takes five years to get your marbles back and another five years to know what to do with them. And that's kind of what was happening for me. You know, I never, I never got any relief after I got sober for probably two and a half years. I was just, I was working the steps. I was doing all this stuff. And, you know, I went into just deep, deep despondency. Things got worse for me, not better when I got sober. Mm. At first, I didn't trust people that were like, they're six months sober, and they come in and they go, oh, my life's wonderful, I have a new job, and my, my relationship with my wife is wonderful, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I was like, boy, that wasn't my experience, mm-hmm. you know. I just plummeted. Yeah. And do, you, I, do you remember, were you thinking, I'm not doing this right, I'm a failure, or this is a always, lie, this is a lie, or I mean... Always. <laughs> <laughs> you know? All of the above. All of the above, Yeah. You know, that's the first thought of a trauma dude. Sometimes it's like, there's something wrong with me. Because that's what I grew up with, you know. there's Everybody told me, oh, there's something wrong with you. So even when, even in the end, when I really started to, to experience a lot of peace and transcendence through my practice, and in the, in the back of my head, there's always that thought, oh, there's some, this is different. This is new. There's something wrong with me. So that that took a long time to get rid of that, you mm-hmm. know. And you, you said as a trauma dude. Yeah. Do you remember, was there, you know, when you were two or three years into sobriety, did you know you were a trauma dude? Oh, no. That dialogue wasn't even going on in the world then. It was just like, oh, you're generally a bad person. You're selfish. You're self-centered. Uh, you can't stop drinking if you were just good and it it would make things better and ultimately that wasn't the problem that's that's not um what was going on i'm just imagining how painful that must have been to hear go to meetings and hear people talk about the blessings and goodness of being clean and sober and you feel that in some ways maybe you're worse yeah yeah and you know i it was kind of the last house on the block you know i i didn't really know where where else to go you know there was i started that self-inquiry process but the problem is that self-inquiry process doesn't work through a vehicle of self-loathing 
it doesn't work with through a, the vehicle of good and bad or or doing you know being a good guy or or trying to it 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 has to be a a complete inquiry with self-love mm-hmm. you know there can't be anything wrong with you that you're trying to fix it's it you're doing this process out of a complete self-love for yourself and at that point i really wasn't capable of that yeah it's a long crazy journey that those early years But I stayed clean, you know, which was was the important the important thing. I was on some kind of crazy path, and I didn't know where it was going. But and then grace and serendipity kind of step in, and 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 you keep following the breadcrumbs, you know. So, mm-hmm. and what did that look like for you? Well, it looked like showing up, suiting mm-hmm. up, and showing up, and whatever was going to be presented was presented. Uh, at first you at first you go into a meeting and you hear exactly you know the meeting topic I you know ironically is on exactly what you're going through mm. and then it happens again and then it happens again and then you go outside of the meetings and then the wait the waitress at the waffle house says something <laughs> to you and it's exactly what you need to hear and then suddenly you realize wow the, there's the, the entire universe is conspiring to pull me somewhere, you mm-hmm. know. And after it happens over and over again, suddenly you start to go, oh, this is this is what's going on here, mm-hmm. and I have to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Was that comforting or annoying? Eventually, yeah. yeah. But no, I didn't want any of this. Mm-hmm. It just happened. I was very reluctant and cynical and black leather jacketed, just kind of asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Uh, yeah, I didn't want any of this. You know, mm-hmm. it just happened, and that's that's kind of the beauty of the of the story, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an Im- quite an image. I'm picturing you again, four years clean and sober, but a black leather jacketed asshole. Yeah, sort of. wearing my black leather jacket in the summer. I <laughs> say <laughs> <laughs> in the book, it's like, uh, yeah, I was, I still wasn't well. I still wore my black leather jacket in the summer. What's yeah. up with that <laughs> in Tennessee? <laughs> So, yeah. So how did that, how did you start to realize that a big part of the problem was trauma, that there was, you know, unconscious or embodied or there was stuff, if you will, that was deep in there that was preventing you from making the next step? Well, I really wasn't, you know, I realized that the steps weren't working on some level because I was, my system was uh, set up in a way or conditioned in a way where I was I was not incapable of receiving. I could I wasn't really capable of receiving love. So there was something blocking that. And no matter how how much I served, how much I prayed, how much I was good or or bad or how much, you know, talk therapy I did or whatever, I was in I was constitutionally incapable of receiving love from the outside on some level. That was quite a quite a ways in. I mean, at 12 years sober doing that, the 12-step deal, the wheels just came off. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, this, is, this isn't this is working. And it, I was lucky one of my best friends and 
yeah, he grew up like I did. And um, he's like, well, you're two years earlier than me. And he got me into, you know, adult children of alcoholics work. And, um, and so I was able to identify a little bit more that I was just a conditioned response to, the, to what happened to me. We've known for some time now that you can't talk or think or introspect your way out of embodied trauma. The healing path must include the unconscious and possibly even the spirit. Though many people do find spiritual recovery through 12-step programs, Jeff did not, likely due to his extensive childhood trauma. On her outstanding podcast called Inside Eyes, Laura Northrup talks about this, about how trauma is a spiritual wound and that it requires a spiritual approach, that insight and knowledge are not sufficient. Trauma lies below our secondary frontal lobe consciousness. It lurks in the primary consciousness of the brain stem and the midbrain, in the unconscious, in the deepest recesses of the autonomic nervous system. This subterranean well of trauma can then lead to a lifetime of what Jeff calls conditioned responses, And what he means by this are reactions to the present, which are actually being directed by what happened in the distant past. And I still was not capable of controlling that conditioned response. I was powerless over that. Uh, My self-knowledge about it availed me nothing. So, So that... That was a different quandary, you know. Mm. So you're, now you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you're years into sobriety. You're, you're identifying as an adult child of an alcoholic, and you know, intellectually, cognitively understanding. Oh yeah, this shaped me in all sorts of ways, but not really getting that in your heart or your spirit. Yeah, I mean, I I remember my wife at at some point told me, you know. Because I was a PTSD guy, you know, and I had tremendous fear, you know, I was trapped in this bubble of fear uh, that I just couldn't shake. And she said, you got to do something about this. It's poison in our family. So I went, I got a therapist and I went and, and she identified, you know, what, you know, that this was the result of this and blah, blah, blah. And that's why you're responding this way. And, and I kind of walked out of there and I said, Oh, so I'm just this conditioned response. Mm. Um, and the underlying was, if I'm just that, well, who the hell am I? You know, who, who, who am I really? Who am I beyond that? And how am I going to experience that? And luckily I was, you know, I'd had some, this yogi came into my life. And, and so that's what I fell back on. You know, I always bought into the fact that, you know, the solution for all this is the spiritual experience. And so I fell back on this yoga thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting you said this this yogi fell into my life. It wasn't that you s- searched for it. Or, oh, no. So uh, along with this theme of the, you know, getting, <laughs> getting life advice at the Waffle House, yeah. you were trying to be open and see what presented itself. And at some point... Oh, yeah. When the, I mean, they always say when the student's ready, the teacher showed up. Mm. And that was, that was my experience, 120%. You know, I was a cert, I was in a certain place, and this man just showed up in my life, and and um, I didn't, I wasn't interested in this man. I was, I was resistant to this man on every level. 
But once I really surrendered a little bit to that and took a program with him, he did things to me that were like, you can't really explain. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that was profound for me because I couldn't explain what he was doing to me. Yeah. Tell me about that process of surrender, because it sounds like that was the first thing you mentioned. I met him, wasn't ready for him, wasn't looking for him. Yeah. He presented himself in my life. Uh, the student was ready, but then there was a process of surrender. Well, it was just a process of being honest with myself, because, you know, the first, my buddy drug me to see him talk, and I didn't want to go to see him talk, and, you know, like, whatever, you know, and he offered to buy me dinner, and that's really all I was interested in, you know, so, um, and then we walked into this church, and this little Indian man walks down the aisle, and it's like, and he sits down, and he starts talking, and it's like, I've been waiting to hear what he had to say my entire life. And just being open enough and honest enough about that, I don't know, there's a lot of grace involved in that. And um, I signed up for a program of his. And Do you remember what he said? No, I don't. Well, he just answered, he was just like, he was alive. He was 100% human. And there's this intelligence and this, he just glowed. I mean, he, he changed the energy in the room. He just was this kind of explosion that I, I'd never experienced before. And I was as reluctant as the next guy. It's like this guy was light and you were black black jacket. Oh, yeah. It was just like, what's going on? Hope you don't mind if I let you in To my darkness here In the demons then Living this life I mean, what's happening here? And then, and then taking a program with him, it was even worse. I mean, it was, it was even more crazy. He would move the energy in the room. He would move the energy inside of you. And it was like, what's happening here? It was, it was beyond explanation. I, you could only experience it. And I was lucky enough. I was just low enough. I'd, I experienced enough enough of my bottom to be open-minded and I could really feel that there was something that that was happening here but uh, along with that there was a tremendous fear whenever I was in his presence it's like my ego subconsciously knew the jig was up (laughs) that that this man could whatever he could do he could blow me wide open Mm. and I ran away from that fear a lot because it was just so intense Mm. you know yeah like he knew he could see your pain. He, oh yeah, he he got you. Yeah, he knew, at he knew deepest level. Yeah, and even in a room of a hundred people, or six hundred people, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, the experiences are crazy. How much, you know, in those early, say, months with him, how much do you think it was him? You've talked about how powerful he was as a person and how see- seen you felt and uncomfortable with that, versus the practice of going to a place with other people, you know, that sort of communion, we're going to do this thing together. We're going to do these poses and this mindfulness and this practice. Mm-hmm. And Because there's great power in sort of losing yourself to the communal one. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm reminded of this idea that, you know, we're, we're 85% um, tribal primate, 15% honeybee. 
mm-hmm. you know, and that there's something very ecstatic about losing yourself. But, but yeah, so I'm just trying to, it's my <laughs> awkward way of saying, you know, in these early months, were you, were you finding some, some movement mostly through him or through the actual practice of yoga and the poses itself and or being again with this group of people who are all on their individual journey, but in a shared A little experience. bit of both. I mean, he, he was an energy guy. So the more people he can have access to, to their energy, he takes that energy and builds it up through, mm-hmm. through all these people. And, and it's explosive, you know. He can do that probably on a one-on-one level, you know, and because I, I was never, I was never really been a joiner, <laughs> and ultimately, um, I had an experience with him uh, in an ashram, and and I was in a room with six hundred people, and I kind of tapped out in a way, and I found myself with just me and him, and he was, it was me and him, and he said, "Are you coming? Are you coming?" And I and I had to make a decision in that space, but I was in a room with six hundred people, and how he does this, I have no idea. But and I said, "No, I'm not coming," you know. And as soon as I said, "No, I'm not coming," I was filled with this just just bliss, this crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And it was like, to me, it is, he's a fisher of men, like what Christ talked about. And to experience that, he will he'll take that if that's who you're meant to be. And you can go serve serve the guru or do whatever. But that wasn't me. You know, and when I made that decision about myself, it was that was a really important decision. No, I'll choose life. Life is life is my path. I'm not moving into the ashram and, and doing all that stuff. So that's kind of a really unique experience that I that I had with him. Because I've never really been a joiner. I'm convinced that while healing from trauma is a complex and multi-level process, it must start with a connection to another human being. People can be our worst nightmare. They can cause us the gravest physical, emotional, and spiritual injuries. And they're also the portal back into the world of life, of living without the numbness and the dread, the rebuilding of trust and peace and connection. For Jeff... His yogi played the final and arguably most critical role in bringing him back to who he was before he was traumatized. So he was crucial to the process. He was crucial. You know, guys like that are a doorway. They're a doorway to a dimension of yourself that's really beyond name and form. So yeah, he's, he was definitely crucial to my process. Personally, and the practices that he taught me were crucial to the process about opening up and balancing your system on a level where stuff starts moving. Mm -hmm. Because, like with trauma, it's in our body, Mm -hmm. you know, it's in our cells. Mm -hmm. So, those practices were really important in getting, releasing those things that were embedded in my cellular being. Mm -hmm. And then they started coming up, you know. So, I'm just picturing. You know, in a lot of uh, somatic or embodied trauma work, people can get worse before they get better. It's mm-hmm. almost like as the cellular trauma, spiritual trauma, as it starts to move. And I've talked about this with uh, respect to ketamine, for example, in this podcast. Mm-hmm. But I'm imagining 
that with you as you're doing this yoga practice, the spiritual practice with this incredibly radiant guy that maybe you got worse at times as well, things started to move Yeah, it started shift. moving. You know, things started moving. I, I started a meditation and a yoga practice because they told it, me it would make me peaceful. Mm-hmm. But that was the, uh, it did not make me peaceful. It, it was like a tumultuous, like, thing that happened from within. All the stuff, all the stuff that made me up started to loosen up and, and come up. And it was not pretty. Um, it was, it was, it was very tumultuous at first. People think enlightenment or spiritual practice is supposed to be this great thing. And it's different for everybody in relationship to what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what you bring to the pillow is what you bring. To, everybody has to start with who they already are. You know, it, it really didn't happen till I, till I really hit a point in, in an ashram experience where I, I experienced myself beyond my conditioning. I mean, it really didn't happen till that kind of burning bush moment where I really discovered like who I was in this in this kind of profound spiritual moment. And once I was able to access this dimension of myself beyond name and form, which is Ananda in yoga, I mean, there's five levels of being in 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 yoga, you know, our earth element, our energy body, our emotional body, and our intellectual body. And then there's Ananda. It's who we are beyond our conditioning. And once I hit that certain point, I just remembered who I was. I remembered myself before all this conditioned response happened. Before that, I was just a I was just a a response to what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. After that, it's like I remembered who I was and my whole system reset. And so I, the PTSD was gone because that's just a response to something that happened to mm-hmm. us. It took a couple of years to even process what happened to me in that moment. You know, my, my brain was subconsciously holding on to all this information that I thought I had to hold on to because as a protection mechanism and that was just washed away as for a while I felt like I had Alzheimer's because like where's all this information it was just what was not needed was just washed away in kind of a really natural kind of process and I didn't really have any mirroring on it so I was kind of alone with it and I, I was able to find an Adyashanti book called uh, The End of Our World which which really helped me you know, because what I had was kind of an awakening experience. And this book, it kind of goes through different types of awakening experiences and 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 what happens to people and how they kind of feel after that. And yeah. so that really helped a lot. You know, mm-hmm. um, the yogic tradition I came from where this happened was it's really it's huge. It's massive. And the and the teacher is pretty much unavailable. It was difficult. You yeah. know, do you think you through this healing you found your old self or you kind of created a new self no i it's the self that was already mm-hmm. always there mm-hmm. and it'll be there after i die you know it's just like it's this dimension of ourselves that's beyond name and form yeah it's really you can really only experience it it's like i can't really tell you like what an lsd trip is like mm-hmm. 
you gotta you gotta take the tab, mm-hmm. you know, and then, yeah. and um, it's impossible to describe. But I think the important thing is I didn't have it, and this is the miracle about my story is like I didn't have anybody to constantly tell me no, it's gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay. So I think once we start people on this process, I think it's important to have people like to go, no, you're gonna come apart. But it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I never knew that it was going to be okay. All I all I experienced was the the end of all my trying and all my effort and going back to there and having to face this tremendous fear on my own. And that fear was the that fear is the conditioning. People always say, you know, they're doing trauma sensitive yoga and they don't want to trigger the patient, you know, or the or the practitioner, but you have to trigger. You have to get beyond realizing that the trigger is the trauma. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can't you can't sugarcoat that on any level really. You just got to jump. You have to jump in, you yeah. know. or types of yoga that are more trauma appropriate trauma specific um, or or do you feel like with you know with the right teacher in the right context you know any school or type of yoga could be uh, I think yeah trauma there, healing yeah I think it can because it what the purpose of yoga is to open and balance the system so your energy flows in a different way and and all yogas like like that, you know. I mean, it's a physical somatic practice where you're actually putting your body in a certain position and breathing, and you use the breath to open up the physical body so the energy can flow in a different way. And you don't necessarily even have to do. You can just do it with your breath. I mean, my tradition, there was no postures. It was mm-hmm. all just breath work, mantra and mudras you know and and directing the energy of the breath to open up the body and balance the the polarities of the system in a certain way where you create this certain space of stillness and then kind of the magic happens from Mm. there this may be a difficult question but i'm wondering about guilt and shame and how those may have changed through this process well, you kind of have to transcend them, and you and you really have to realize like it, all of those emotions have a shadow side that's energetic. So guilt's shadow side is pleasure. So if you if you make decisions on guilt and you built your life around decisions made on guilt, you're never going to be able to experience pleasure to its fullest. Um, shame is another thing. Its shadow side is willpower. Mm. You know, being a shame based dude. I was never able to use my willpower in the in the proper way. I always thought I had to be smarter, work harder, you know, manipulate the situation more, push myself harder because because I was never told that I was enough. You know, I never experienced myself as enough. So 
ultimately you just wear yourself out if you're making decisions based on shame-based conditioning. So you re- we really have to look at that and, and kind of realize like, oh, why am I so, why do I feel like I have to be better than the next guy? This guy over here doesn't have to push himself till just like a wild maniac, <laughs> you know, to survive. What's going on? Why do I have to, why do I respond to the, to the world that way? It wasn't that you had a mentor or a friend or someone saying, hey, if you do this, you can find peace or you can find a spiritual experience or recovery that can finally bring you to where you want to be. Yeah. All I knew that I, w- all I knew was that I wasn't free. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't where I wanted to be. You know, in 12-step, they're like happy, joyous, and free. I, I wasn't that. I had to exhaust all these other possibilities of being happy, joyous, and free. You know, we put the drink down, and then um, desire is longing's tool. We have to exhaust possibilities. The demons have to be exercised. So I put down the drink, and then, oh, I picked up sex. Well, that doesn't really... That doesn't create union. I mean, you for a while, you'll be in union with this other person, but then eventually you'll be, you know, smoking a cigarette, listening to the rest of the Barry White record you'd put on. <laughs> <laughs> and then you try ambition. Oh, okay, I can complete myself through ambition, conquest, you know, greed. Um, then maybe, oh, that didn't work. Then how about love? Well, really what it, you know, the feeling, the emotional aspect of love, you know, that really doesn't do it either. So, and then there's, and then at the end of the rope, there's spirituality. And really, I had to exhaust all those possibilities um, of transcendence before I got to, and mm-hmm. now yoga, yeah. you know, and now there's a spiritual solution, yeah. you know. And our mind is always trying to define our present experience based on what it's already seen and heard. So the mind is really not a solution. You have to transcend the mind, because the mind is always like, trying to find a place to stand on based on what it's seen or heard or through its imagination, which isn't real either. We can't suffer the future or the past. What we're suffering is in our, our experience or our imagination. So what's really happening right here? Uh, can you experience yourself beyond what, what you've learned? You know, mm-hmm. And that's that dimension of our of myself is what I needed to experience to re-remember who I was in my core, mm-hmm. you know, and that for me was the wholeness I'd already, already been looking for. It changed. Once I got to that fifth dimension, which is Ananda, which is bliss, it changed my relationship with, with my conditioned self. Suddenly my PTSD wasn't a problem. You know, suddenly I realized I really wasn't my body and mind. I had experienced myself beyond the physical or beyond my five senses. And then when you experience that, you get to a point where you, you realize there's nothing to seek. So mm-hmm. all, you, seeking is required, but once you cross that doorway, seeking, you realize there's really nothing to seek. It's like the, the, the physics community and the spiritual community <laughs> coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... You know, oh, Einstein's been telling us what the gurus have been telling us for like 2,000 years. Einstein can do it on, a mat, on the board in a math equation, but he really can't experience it. So it's kind of the same thing with the clinical world and the, 
and the spiritual world when it comes to trauma and recovery. I think it's really finally starting to come together on some level. But the clinical world's where the money is. Money's always a problem. (laughs) 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 You know, (laughs) you know, the money outweighs the money outweighs like the wellness, creating an environment for wellness to happen. They they cram sixty people into a treatment center and expect five well people to um to take care of this this mass amount of sick energy, um, and I and I always tell my friends in the treatment business, you know, the winter, the energy of wellness has to over has to be more powerful than the energy of sickness for anything to really work on a on a huge profound level, and that's not sustainable mm-hmm. usually. You yeah. Know? So yeah. it is in the ashram, and that's what you know. That's what temple building is about. The ancient art of temple building. They create this this space. They build structures to create this space of wellness where where transcendence is possible. And mm-hmm. um, you know, you tell that to a treatment center director, and he just laughs at you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I enjoy doing it anyway. It's, it's good fun. <laughs> yeah. What What if anything do you feel like you still struggle with today? Because you've done a ton of work. You're still you still have a yoga spiritual practice you just wrote a book yeah um but i'm imagining like everybody or maybe you're not like the rest of us (laughs) (laughs) shouldn't presume but are are there still parts of your journey that are difficult or that kind of come back that you have to keep sort of beating back down with what you've learned or what you've practiced well basically powerlessness i found this wonderful thing in my life and in my recovery, I found the freedom that from this immense conditioning that happened to me. And your nat- your natural thing is, well, I want to give this to everybody. Who wouldn't want this? But there's no fool like a like an old fool. You know, it's like you think like just because you found something that everybody's going to want it, it's like, oh, no. So and we're all stuck in this physical world. So we have to deal with. You know, we can't escape aging or, or ignorance or, or the world we live in. The only thing we're in charge of is, is our interior world. So it's just my challenges today are about just offering what I have to offer and whoever's going to come is going to come. Over the last year on this podcast, we've heard first-person accounts of healing trauma with EMDR, MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine, and now yoga. I think at least two things tie all of these modalities together. First, a trusting and connected relationship with a teacher or healer or therapist. And second, accessing what lies below the surface of our conscious experience. Whether you want to call this primary consciousness, the inner healer, chi, the spirit, the soul, the life force, ananda, trauma wounds at this deepest level and to heal it we need to use tools beyond our words and conscious ideas someday the crows will fall like rain and water all the world to grow back green again oh someday I'll wake there in your arms 
on pillows by the sea of Marvin Tangerine on a highway where distance is not real then two hearts become one beyond our driving wheel with a you bag and all this love we feel and we'll spread it on the dawn of all these killing fields and all our fears dear will fall like broken glass to the streets and sad refrain to draw near this love clear glowing there like summer Blowing kisses from the train Someday These walls will all come down On this shitty border town We carry in our hearts Yes, someday Well, it just might be today If we imagine it is so And put it into play Oh, someday 